God is good? And all the time? Well, Happy New Year. We can do better. Happy New Year. Glad that you chose to worship with us today. And uh, appreciate uh, Dave and all the praise team who led us today. As uh, Dave mentioned, Stefan had planned on leading us today and had everything uh, organized for us. And then uh, she got sick last night. So appreciate Dave last minute, got the call about 9 th- 9.30 last night. And uh, so appreciate uh, the praise team and, and Dave and all that uh, leading us today. And uh, are you excited to be in church today? I assume you are. You wouldn't be here yet. You can, you can clap for that. And uh, so as I think about this new year, um, the word that comes to my mind a few weeks ago is hope. Hope in the new year. And so we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about that. Uh, I do want you to warn you, maybe if you didn't grab a, a communion cup on your way in this morning, you may want to sneak out and grab one for your whole row if your row didn't get one uh, at some point today. And uh, we're going to have communion at the close of our service today. But as I think about this word hope, I, I have a prayer request as well as we enter this new year. Myself and David and Kim Hayes, who are down here in the front, uh, we are planning, Lord willing, uh, to get on a plane on Friday and fly to Kenya. And so with all the new regulations or whatever we want to call them in place, just pray that God allows us to get there and we're going to have an opportunity. I'm going to get to train some of our pastors. Many of you who have been around a while, you know we've invested a lot of money in, in there on the southeast coast and uh, there's been a lot of churches planted right there on the Kenya and Tanzania border, and so I'm going to get the opportunity to go and do some uh, pastoral training for them and just check on all of the pastors and school workers and leaders, and so I ask that you just pray for us as we fly out on, on Friday. But this word hope, uh, Hal Lindsey had this uh, pretty, what I would think is a famous quote that talks about hope, and in this quote it says that you can live 40 days without food. Now, I've never tried it. I don't want to try it, but he says it's true. That you can live three days without water, eight minutes without air, but only for a second without hope. And as I think about the new year, um, a few weeks ago as I was thinking about 2020 ending, how many of you were just so anticipating 2020 being behind us? Can can you say amen to that? Uh, I don't know if there's been a year with more expectation than Maybe back in 1999, for us old people in the room, you remember when Y2K and the world was going to fall apart and, and you were going to wake up, or at midnight the computers were all going to crash. How many of you remember that? That may be the only year I can think of that's more anticipation. It was kind of the reverse. Like we were wondering what was going to happen. This year it's more like, oh, I cannot wait for 2020 to be behind me. I'm curious, how many of have either heard or said the statement, I hope 2021 is better than 2020. How many of you have either heard, said it, prayed it, quoted it, sang it, whatever? Um, and here we are in 2021, and guess what? It's We're all still wearing masks and social distancing and taking tests before we get on planes. I, never mind, I'm not going to say that. All right, yeah, there is hope, right? But I want us to understand something from Scripture, that hope is never found in circumstances. That hope is found in a person, and that person is Jesus, and Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And so my hope is not in 2021. My hope is not in our government, God help us all. My hope is not in this building. 
My hope is not in people. My hope is in Jesus. And I think about this hope, that word, it's really a synonym of hope is faith. But when I think about the word hope, it seems to have this, this understanding, or at least for me when I think of hope, it's just this word anticipation. We've just come out of a season of anticipation, as, uh, especially for kids. You know, can't wait, can't wait for December 25th to come. My street this year, we put up lights in our street earlier than ever, more than ever. It was like this anticipation of something new and let's get this behind us and this word anticipation. But the story we're going to look at this morning, I want you to invite you to find your way to Luke chapter number two. And this story is a story of hope, but it's not just a story of an expectant hope. It's a story of hope realized. And so for 400 years. So in the New Testament, we see the the division here, right? We go straight from Malachi in the Old Testament. You turn a few pages and all of a sudden you're in Matthew and it almost seems like it was just a flip of the page and everything changed. Jesus showed up and when Jesus shows up, everything changes, doesn't it? And so we have to understand that this flip of the page from Malachi to the New Testament was longer than just a flip of the page. It was 400 years of anticipation, 400 years of waiting, 400 years of hoping. Because Malachi the prophet said that there will be one and it will be Elijah who will come and he will be the forerunner of the Messiah. And so there was this anticipation for Elijah to show up so that Jesus could show up. And in fact, at the Passover Seder table, the Jewish tradition would be to have a cup filled with wine expecting Elijah to show up. Because if Elijah showed up, guess who was right behind Elijah? Jesus. And there's this hope. They would even have an empty chair at the table in case Elijah did show up. There's a tradition of the Jewish children would be opening the door hoping for Elijah to show up. And 400 years of anticipation, 400 years, though, of silence. God didn't speak. 400 years of waiting. 400 years of anticipation. And silence is broken in Luke chapter number 2 when there was two birth announcements. We looked at those last month. The birth announcement of John. And guess what John, what role John would fulfill? The role of Elijah the forerunner of Christ. The next birth announcement, just a few verses later, was the birth announcement of Jesus the Messiah. And so for 400 years, silence was now broken. Hope was here. And it was in the person of Jesus. It brings to mind the story of John the Baptist. We often quote it when John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But let's let's really understand what I think that scene looked like. As John was ill in the wilderness preaching, he was preaching repentance. He was preparing the way of the Lord. He was fulfilling the role of Elijah that would point to Jesus. And it's as if John were standing here before us. And he says, look. Y'all can look. There is Jesus. The Lamb of God, who will take away the sins of the world. Hope. 
And so in Luke chapter number 2, we pick up the story in verse number 21. And as we've already said, the birth announcement of Christ, and the, or of John, and then the birth announcement of Christ. Then we have the birth of Christ. And in verse number 21, we're actually eight days from the birth of Christ, after the birth of Christ. And so Luke chapter 2, verse 21, let me read it for us. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who, who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law. The Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now as we think of this story, here we are about 40 to 41 days from the birth of Christ. And as is the law, they're going to bring the son to the temple and they're going to offer sacrifice and offering unto the Lord. And he is going to be blessed by those in the temple. And we think about this idea, 40, 41 days from the birth of Christ, they take him to the temple. 400 years now of waiting, and we're going to read about two people in the story. Simeon is the first, and then Anna. And Simeon and Anna are what we would see in scripture as what was called of old age. Okay, as we see in the text, it seems as if Anna is at least 84 years old, possibly a hundred and something years old. We're not told exactly how old Simeon is, but the, the writing and the understanding tradition would say that he is an old man ready to die. And they have been waiting, they've been hoping, they've been expecting the prophecy to be fulfilled that Messiah would come. Now, when I think of this word hope, and as we spend the next few weeks talking about the word hope, uh, I love the acronym that Dave came up with. Dave is great with ac acronyms. And here's the word that hope, that's going to kind of drive us the next month. Healthy optimism from a promised eternity. There's a lot in that statement. Healthy optimism from a promised eternity. I want you to think about that definition as we walk through the text. Simeon is the first character we'll find. An old man hoping, waiting, expecting. All right, let's look at verse number 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was just and devout. He was waiting. Okay, and this word waiting isn't just mean like he's sitting here on the stool waiting for something to happen. What this understanding of waiting here actually means is that he is expecting. But he is expecting a fulfillment of promise. He's expecting a fulfillment of prophecy. What prophecy do you suppose he's expecting fulfillment of? That Messiah would come, that Elijah would point to the one who would come. And so he's waiting, he's expecting a promise to be fulfilled. And the very next sentence explains to us, well, what's the promise he's waiting on? So he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting, in a word, for Jesus. The one who would, the consolation of Israel, it's the one who would console Israel. It's the one who would bring peace to Israel. Not peace as they were thinking, but peace in their heart. Reconciliation consolation with 
Christ. So he's waiting, he's expecting, he's waiting for the Messiah, he's waiting for Christ. And it goes on to say, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And then it says, and he, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. How cool would that have been to be an old man and for the Lord through the Holy Spirit to say, hey, I know you're getting old, but you're not going to die until you see Messiah. How, how excited do you think he would have been to go, as it says in the text next, to the temple? Because where is he going to meet Messiah? In the temple. The importance of him to show up every day, not to miss the promise, the fulfillment, what he's been waiting for. Verse 27, so he came by the Spirit into the temple. And the parents brought in the child Jesus, do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in the arms and he blessed God and said, so you you get the scene here? Here's an older man who traditionally goes to the temple to bless the young children who have come to offer sacrifice and offering as they're 40 days old. And he's been told, you're not going to die until one of these children that come in is going to be the fulfillment of the promise of the Messiah, the one you've been waiting for. I wonder how many babies Simeon held. And here he grabs baby Jesus. And he looks him in the eyes. And the Spirit reveals to him, this is the one. This is the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for. And then he prophesies. Look what he says here in, in, in the text. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Remember what Pastor Dave just said? Grace precedes peace. Because of the grace of God showed up, peace was now available. I can depart in peace according to your word. Then he goes on to say, and this is prophecy of who the baby is, the baby Jesus he's holding. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. What does he mean by your salvation? Let me just give you some synonyms for this word. What he's speaking of is, you, my eyes have seen your redemption. My eyes have seen your restoration. My eyes have seen your forgiveness, your deliverance, the Prince of Peace, forgiveness of God for all eternity. And as he looks into the baby Jesus, he prophesies and he says, this one is the fulfillment of the promise. What I've been waiting for, the consolation of Israel. Verse 31, which you prepared before the face of all peoples, Verse 32, a light to bring salvation, a revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And so he says here, this baby Jesus, who's going to bring peace, who's going to restore the nation, the lost, those who need to be redeemed to God, their creator. It is not just for the Jews, he says. You've brought a light of revelation to all people. That means us. The hope of the world, Jesus came as a baby. And Simeon is, I just can't imagine what his walk home was like that day. The story that, that maybe he told his wife or his kids, I today, I met Jesus. Let's keep reading. Skip down with me to, to verse number 36. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was a she was old, but it says of great age. 
and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity, and this woman was a widow of about 84 years. So again, we know she was at least 84 years old, possibly over 100 years old, and she was a faithful person. What does it say about her? She was a prophetess who did not depart from the temple. She served God with fastings and prayers night and day. What what a great reminder for us to show up to the temple or to church, because who knows what's going to happen at church. Jesus, hopefully, is going to show up. And, And Anna, she hears Simeon, who I'm sure she knows, this old man, I'm sure he's told her, hey, God has told me I'm not going to die until I see the consolation of Israel. And Anna hears Simeon now prophesying, this baby, this one is the salvation. This one is the light that will bring revelation to the Gentiles. This is the consolation of Israel, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end. Can you imagine her excitement? And it says here in the text that she with an instant went to, the, to, to what was happening. And she spoke. Verse number 38, it says, And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord. So she praises God because of Jesus. What a cool story of hope that showed up. She says it, it says that she gave thanks to the Lord and she spoke of him. Who's him? Jesus, Messiah. She speaks of Jesus. She's a prophetess. What do you think she's speaking of? This is the one. This is the one who's going to redeem all mankind back to God. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one we've been hoping would show up. This is the expectant one. This is Jesus. And she spoke about him to them. But who are the them? Well, look at the text. The last part of verse 38. It says, And spoke of him to all those who looked. Interestingly enough, this word looked, it's translated different than the word we just talked about waiting in verse 25, but it's the same Greek word. He was waiting, she spoke to those who were looking. What did we say waiting meant? To expect the fulfillment of the promises. So Anna is speaking to all the Jews in the temple saying, those of you who've been waiting, looking, anticipating, hoping for what? The redemption in Jerusalem. Anna is simply confirming what Simeon has told us. This is Messiah. Everything changed. You see, these people, Anna and Simeon specifically, they're older people. They've been waiting. It's been silent. They've been hoping. And their expectant hope in a moment in the temple became from an expectant hope to a a living hope. The hope arrived in the person of Jesus. It changes everything. Now, I want to continue the story. So turn me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. As we think about and kind of transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament. They had an expectant hope in the person of Jesus showing up. He did show up, so their expectant hope now became a living hope, which is what Peter writes about. 
the first couple of verses of 1 Peter, we understand that Peter is writing to believers. He's writing to those who place their faith in Jesus, followers of Jesus. And he's writing to those who have been scattered because of persecution. So understand, as he writes this, he's writing to believers, but he's writing to believers who are suffering persecution. And here's what he says in verse number three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a, what are the next two words? Say them out loud. He's begotten to us a what? A living hope. He's begotten to us again a, what is it? Living hope. It's no longer for us an expectant hope. It's a living hope. And how do I know it's a living hope? Because he's alive in me. He's not just a living hope. He's just not the living hope. He's the living hope who dwells inside of me. At the age of 17, when I made a decision to give my life to Jesus Christ, at that very moment, God came into my life. The living hope became a living hope who lived inside of me, and it changes everything. And what does he go on to say? He's a living hope. How do we have this living hope? It says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, what Peter is saying is we have a living hope because Jesus is alive. Because Jesus is alive, we have hope today. Can you say amen to that? Because he is alive, we also will live. It changes everything. And he goes on to describe this living hope that it's inheritance. We see that all throughout the New Testament. It's an inheritance. We are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. And it's an inheritance, and then he goes on to describe it. It's an incorruptible. It's undefiled. It doesn't fade away. And I love this next phrase. This inheritance, this hope, is reserved for you in heaven. He's writing to who? Believers, people who have placed their faith in Jesus. So today, if you are a believer, if there's a moment in your life, for me it was when I was 17 years old. I think of the story of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He came to Jesus in the night. And what did Jesus tell him? In order to enter heaven, you must be born again. At the age of 17, I was born again. I placed my faith in the living hope of Jesus. He now indwells in me. And what this text says is because of that moment, at that very moment, there is a reservation in my name in heaven for all of eternity. Can you say amen to that? So the question for you this morning is, is the living hope living in you? There's a reservation in home. Paul said the same thing in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14. He says that we are sealed under the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. I have a reservation made in heaven, and that reservation is sealed by the Holy Spirit. I can't lose it. Praise God, because I make some stupid mistakes. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. Who are kept, here again, it's just talking about the, that our salvation, this reservation, are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6. Again, Peter's writing to those who have the living hope inside of them, even in spite of difficulty. He says, in this, you greatly rejoice. Because of the living hope of God, we can rejoice. Even though, he's going to go on to describe now, even though life may be a little difficult. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been greed by various trials. It seems very like he's low-key, kind of downplaying. There's been some major persecution going on. 
even in the various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. You know, in, in some ways this year, doesn't 2020 seem like it's just been a test by fire? How many of you, your faith has been tested this year? Can you, can you raise your hand? Here's the great thing about the testing of your faith. That on the other side of testing, you realize that your faith is real and that God is always faithful. Without testing, you don't know that. With testing, you find out your faith is real and God is faithful. Though even tested by fire continues, it may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What a great text of hope that we have because Jesus is alive. Is he alive in you? That's the question you need to wrestle with today. Is he alive in you? Now, he transitioned in verse 13, and he uses this word, therefore. And the therefore, what it's there for is he's talking about all these things we've just talked about. Because you have a living hope, because there's a reservation made in heaven that cannot be taken away, because of that, because the living hope is in you, how should you live? And that's what he says in verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and here's the great phrase, rest your hope fully upon the grace. Rest your hope fully on the grace of God. Remember what Dave said this morning? Grace precedes peace. Because we've received grace, the living hope, we can rest, we can have peace, because our hope is in Jesus. It's not in our circumstances, it's in Jesus. He goes on, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be. There's, there's an interesting two words you might circle. To be. That means it hasn't happened yet. We rest our hope fully in the grace that is to be. What does that mean? What well, goes on to say, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So as we think about Simeon and Anna, they had an expectant hope for Jesus to show up. And he did. Their expectant hope became a living hope. For us in the New Testament, the day of grace, the church age, the living hope is with us. We have a living hope because Christ is alive. We have a living hope that dwells in us. But we don't just have a living hope. We also have an expectant hope that one day Jesus is coming back. Are you looking for Jesus to come back? Would it be okay if he came back today? It would be if he's living inside of you. Because when Jesus comes back, he's going to make all things new. No more mask. No more every other pew. No more sickness. No more COVID. Can I get an amen to that? 
You see, we have a living hope. And because of the living hope in us, we also have an expectant hope that Jesus one day is going to come back. He's going to make all things new. And we will live in the presence of our Savior. Are you looking forward to that day? Let's get back to the, the most important question. Jesus is the living hope. But is he living in you? Like I said, when I was 17 years old, I had grown up in church my entire life. I knew all the stories. I played all the Christian games. I had already won a preaching contest for Baptist Bible College and had a scholarship waiting for me. But I didn't have living hope inside of me. And I was desperately lacking peace in my life. And I decided at about 2 o'clock in the morning in June 1991, about a week after I graduated from high school, that I was going to make the decision to make him my living hope. Today, if the living hope of the world is not in you, could I challenge you, encourage you, plead with you? Let today be that day. It's very simple. It's you praying to the Lord. I believe there should be three parts to your prayer. That is that you need to admit you're a sinner. You need to believe that Jesus died for you. And you need to confess that Jesus is Lord. Would everybody close your eyes with me this morning? And in the quietness of this moment, whether you're watching online, whether you're watching this live, recorded, or you're in this room right in this moment, if Jesus is not your living hope, would you receive him today?